Chapter 39 of The Headless Horseman. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Headless Horseman, A Strange Tale of Texas by Maine Reed. Chapter 39 The Pool of Blood. Notwithstanding its number, larger than usual for a party of boarders merely in search of a strayed neighbor, the expedition pursued its way with considerable caution. There was reason. The Indians were upon the war trail. Scouts were sent out in advance, and professed trackers employed to pick up and interpret the sign. On the prairie, extending nearly ten miles to the westward of the Leona, no trail was discovered. The turf, hard and dry, only showed the tracks of a horse when going in a gallop. None such were seen along the route. At ten miles' distance from the fort, the plain is traversed by a tract of chaparral, running northwest and southeast. It is a true Texan jungle, laced by ilianas, and almost impenetrable for man and horse. Through this jungle, directly opposite the fort, there is an opening, through which passes a path, the shortest that leads to the headwaters of the Nueces. It is a sort of natural avenue among the trees that stand closely crowded on each side, but refrain from meeting. It may be artificial, some old war trail of the Comanches, erst trodden by their expeditionary parties on the Murad to Tamaulipas, Coahuila, or New Leon. The trackers knew that it conducted to the Alamo, and therefore guided the expedition into it. Shortly after entering among the trees, one of the latter, who had gone afoot in the advance, was seen standing by the edge of the thicket, as if waiting to announce some recently discovered fact. What is it? demanded the major, spurring ahead of the others and riding up to the tracker. Sign? Aye, that there is, major, and plenty of it. Look there, in that bit of sawdish ground, you see, the tracks of a horse. Of two horses, major, said the man, correcting the officer with an air of deference. True, there are two. Farther on they become four, though they're all made up by the same two horses. They have gone up this opening a bit and come back again. Well, Spangler, my good fellow, what do you make of it? Not much replied Spangler, who was one of the paid scouts of the cantonment. "'Not much of that. I haven't been far enough the opening to make out what it means, only far enough to know that a man has been murdered. What proof have you of what you say? Is there a dead body? No, not as much as the little finger, not even a hair of the head, so far as I can see. What then? Blood. A regular pool of it. Enough to have cleared out the carcass of a whole buffalo. Come and see for yourself, but,' continued the scout in a muttered undertone, if you wish me to follow up the sign as it ought to be done, you'll order the others to stay back, especially them as are now nearest you. This observation appeared to be more particularly pointed at the planter and his nephew, as the tracker on making it glanced furtively towards both. By all means, replied the major. Yes, Spangler, you shall have every facility for your work. Gentlemen, may I request you to remain where you are for a few minutes? My tracker here has to go through a performance that requires him to have the ground to himself. He can only take me along with him. Of course the Major's request was a command, courteously conveyed to men who were not exactly his subordinates. It was obeyed, however, just as if they had been, and one and all kept their places, while the officer, following his scout, rode away from the ground. About fifty yards further on, Spangler came to a stand. "'You see that, Major?' said he, pointing to the ground. "'I should be blind if I didn't,' replied the officer. "'A pool of blood, as you say, big enough to have emptied the veins of a buffalo. 
If it has come from those of a man, I should say that whoever shed it is no longer in the land of the living. Dead, pronounced the tracker. Dead before that blood had turned purple as it is now. Whose do you think it is, Spangler? That of the man we're in search of, the son of the old gentleman down there. That's why I didn't wish him to come forward. He may as well know the worst. He must find out in time. True what you say, Major, but we had better first find out how the young fellow has come to be thrown in his tracks. That's what's puzzling me. How? By the Indians, of course. The Comanches have done it. Not a bit of it, rejoined the scout with an air of confidence. Who? Why do you say that, Spangler? Because, you see, if the Indians had been here, there would be forty horse tracks instead of four, and then made by only two horses. There's truth in that. It isn't likely a single Comanche would have had the daring even to assassinate no Comanche major, no Indian of any kind committed to this murder. There are two horse tracks along the opening. As you see, both are shod, and they're the same that have come back again. Comanches don't ride showed horses, except when they've stolen them. Both these were ridden by a white man. One set of the tracks has been made by a Mustang, though it was a big one. The other is the hoof of an American horse. Going west, the Mustang was foremost. You can tell that by the overlap. Coming back, the state's horse was in the lead, the other following him, though it's hard to say how far behind. I may be able to tell better if we keep on to the place where both must have turned back. It can't be a great ways off. Let us proceed thither, then, said the Major. I shall command the people to stay where they are. Having issued the command in a voice loud enough to be heard by his following, the major rode away from the blood-stained spot, preceded by the tracker. For about four hundred yards further on, the two sets of tracks were traceable, but by the eye of the major only where the turf was softer under the shadow of the trees. So far, the scout said the horses had passed and returned in the order already declared by him, that is, the mustang in the lead while proceeding westward, and in the rear while going in the opposite direction. At this point, the trail ended, both horses, as was already known, having returned on their own tracks. Before taking the back track, however, they had halted, and stayed some time in the same place, under the branches of a spreading cottonwood. The turf, much trampled around the trunk of the tree, was evidence of this. The tracker got off his horse to examine it, and stooping to the earth, carefully scrutinized the sign. "'They ban here, the gither,' said he after several minutes spent in his analysis, and for some time, though neither's been out of the saddle. They've been on friendly terms, too, which makes it all the more unexplainable. They must have quarreled afterwards. If you are speaking the truth, Spangler, you must be a witch. How on earth can you know all that? By the sign, Major, by the sign. It's simple enough. I see the shoes of both horses lapping over each other a score of times, and in such a way that shows they must have been the gither, the animals, it might be, restless and moving about. As for the time, they've taken long enough to smoke a cigar apiece. Close to the teeth, too. Here are the stumps. Not enough left to fill a fellow's pipe. The tracker, stooping as he spoke, picked up a brace of cigar stumps and handed them to the major. By the same token, he continued, I conclude that the two horsemen, whoever they were while under this tree, could not have had any very hostile feelings, the one to the other. Men don't smoke in the company with the design of cutting each other's throats or blowing out one another's brains the instant afterwards. The trouble between them must have come on after the cigars were smoked out. That it did come, there can be no doubt. As sure, Major, as you're sitting in your saddle, one of them has wiped out the other. I can only guess which has been wiped out by the errands we're on. 
Poor Mr. Poindexter will never more see his son alive. "'Tis very mysterious,' remarked the Major. "'It is by Jingo. And the body, too. Where can it be? That's what perplexes me most of all. If it had been Indians, I wouldn't have thought much of its being missing. They might have carried the man off with them to make a target of him, if only wounded, and if dead to eat him, maybe. But there's been no Indians here, not a redskin. Take my word for it, Major.' One of the two men who rid these horses has wiped out the other, and certainly he have wiped him out in the letterless sense of the word. What he's done with the body beats me, and perhaps only himself can tell. Most strange, exclaimed the major, pronouncing the words with emphasis. Most mysterious. It's possible we may yet unravel some of the mystery, pursued Spangler. We must follow up the tracks of the horses after they started from this, that is, from where the deed was done. We may make something out of that. There's nothing more to be learnt here. We may as well go back, Major. Am I to tell him? Mr. Poindexter, you mean? Yes. You are convinced that his son is the man who has been murdered? Oh, no. Not so much as that comes to. Only convinced that the horse the old gentleman is now riding is one of the two that's been over this ground last night. The state's horse, I feel sure. I have compared the tracks, and if young Poindexter was the man who was on his back, I fear there's not much chance for the poor fellow. It looks ugly that the other rid after him. Spangler, have you any suspicion as to who the other may be? Not a spark, Major. If it hadn't been for the tail of old Duffer, I'd never have thought of Maurice the Mustanger. True, it's the track of a shoe Mustang, but I don't know it to be his'n. Surely it can't be. The young Irishman ain't the man to stand nonsense from nobody, but as little heir, he the one to do a deed like this. That is, if it's been cold-blooded killing. I think as you about that. And you may think so, Major, if young Poindexter's been killed, and by Maurice Gerald, there's been a fair stand-up fight between them, and the planter's son has gone under. That's how I shed reckon it up. As to the disappearance of the dead body, for them two quarts of blood could have only come out of a body that's now dead. That trees me. We must follow the trail, howsoever, and maybe it'll fetch us to some sensible conclusion. Am I to tell the old gentleman what I think of it? Perhaps better not. He knows enough already. It will at least fall lighter upon him if he finds things out by piecemeal. Say nothing of what we've seen. If you can take up the trail of the two horses after going off from the place where the blood is, I shall manage to bring the command after you without anyone suspecting what we've seen. All right, Major, said the scout. I think I can guess where the off-trail goes. Give me ten minutes upon it, and then come on to my signal. So saying, the tracker rode back to the place of blood, and after what appeared a very cursory examination, turned off into a lateral opening in the chaparral. Within the promised time, his shrill whistle announced that he was nearly a mile distant, and in a direction altogether different from the spot that had been profaned by some sanguinary scene. On hearing the signal, the commander of the expedition, who had in the meantime returned to his party, gave orders to advance while he himself, with Poindexter and the other principal men, moved ahead, without his revealing to any one of his retinue the chapter of strange disclosures for which he was indebted to the instincts of his tracker. End of chapter 39. Recording by Jen Jones, Montreal, Canada.